the doctor, what are the first things they check? Your blood pressure, heart rate, oxygen levels. Your vital signs. The things that give essential information about your overall health. Like the dashboard on your car, if one of these is going off, you know it's time to check in and see what's going on. What if our whole self had a dashboard? What if we had a way to check in on how our overall health is? What if we could check vital signs for our relationships, our mental health, even our souls? What are your vital signs saying? What's up, Table Family? You guys doing well tonight? Man, I am loving getting to be one of your pastors. In fact, um, one of the things I look forward to most every week is being with you guys on Tuesday nights. I can't stop talking about what God's doing here. In fact, uh, earlier today, I was grabbing lunch at our cafe over here, and I met this girl that was working at the cafe, and I just threw it out. I was like, hey, how old are you? It sounds like I'm like in the dating scene again, if I'm honest. I said, hey, how old are you? And she just goes, 22. I said, hey, do you know about the table on Tuesday nights? And this is about the third person this week that I talked to about it. And she goes, I don't know anything about it. So I told her about, hey, we've got this amazing group of people that gather every Tuesday night. And when I talk about it, and I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about the program. I'm not talking about what happens on this stage while those things are amazing. I'm talking about the people that God is gathering here and he's um, allowing us to be a part of the community that he's building here at the table. And I just told her, I said, hey, it's absolutely amazing. You should be there on Tuesday night. She goes, well, tonight's actually my birthday, which I need you guys to know. This is the third person I talked to this week that I invited to the table and they told me it was their birthday. So either that's like the new I'm washing my hair or I don't really know what's going on, but I just said, hey, why don't you join us? And I need you guys to know something. I love what God's doing here. Because I love what God's doing in your life. It's so easy for me to walk up to somebody who's a complete stranger that looks like they might be between the ages of 18 to 30 and just go, hey, you should come on Tuesday nights. And it's because of you. And so thank you for being such an amazing community. Thank you for being such an incredible people who are saying, hey, we're hungry for God because I believe this. I believe when God sets apart a group of people who go, I'm hungry for God, we begin to see breakthrough happen. We begin to see um, supernatural things happen. We begin to see freedom take place. And that's one of the things that I love is, is you guys come and you bring the energy. You bring people with you. And so thank you for being difference makers. Thank you for making this such a special community. In fact, last week we started a brand new series called Vital Signs. And Vital Signs is all about this simple idea that we believe that there's some vital signs that when we go to the doctors that actually um, help us understand what it means to be healthy. How many of you have had your vital signs checked um, in the last, like, two years? Anybody had their vital signs? Yeah, one of the things I love about vital signs, and we simply said that the definition for vital signs is this. It's the, most critically, it's the most overt and critically important indicators of health at this current moment. They don't say everything, but they can be relied upon to tell the most critically important things. And one of the things I love about vital signs is when you go and get your vital signs taken, like it automatically speaks to this deeper reality. In fact, I, I've been having some health challenges in my own life, and it feels like every time I go to the doctors, they have to check my vital signs again. And we've defined vital signs for us in terms of how can we be a healthy community? How can we make sure that we're a people who are pursuing the abundant life that God has for us with this simple acronym? 
If you weren't here last week, that's okay. I'll catch you up to speed. And the simple acronym is this, VITALS. And it stands for vitality. And last week, Tyler did an amazing job talking about what does it mean for us to to be um, spiritually um, filled with this vitality. What does it look like for us to grow in our spiritual formation, for us to live the abundant life, for us to not settle for average, but for us to flourish? Tonight, we're talking about integration. Specifically, what does it mean to be integrated emotionally? Now, when we think about emotion, sometimes there can be a lot of different opinions in the church. And I just want to make sure I give us this kind of foundation tonight for us to be able to walk with. And it's simply this, that God, um, we are ultimately created in the image of God. And when we look all throughout the Bible, the Bible is filled with expressions of emotion. In fact, we'll look a little later tonight at the fact that even Jesus experienced emotion. So sometimes people will go, well, emotions are bad and we shouldn't have them. And what I would say is is that God has actually created us to be able to express ourselves emotionally. He's created us to feel, and that's all a reflection of him. And what we're trying to get at tonight is is we don't want to necessarily say, hey, there there are good or bad emotions. Instead, we want to be able to say, hey, how do we integrate the things that we feel most deeply? How do we begin to actually process those things? How do we begin to take those things and um, allow them to line up with what God's will would be for our lives? And then next week, we're going to look at transparency, which is all about this idea of the fact that we desire to be a community um, that builds our relationships off of transparency. Because way too often in our world, way too often, um, we settle for this reality that all of us want to be um, deeply loved. And because we want to be deeply loved, we're never really known. But God ultimately desires that we would be deeply known and deeply loved. And we want to be the type of people that build our relationships with transparency and trust as a foundation. And then we're going to look at alignment, which is all about mental health. And how do we align what we're thinking um, to the way and the will of God? And then we're looking at longevity, which is all about health and um, how can we be healthy? But more importantly than not just health, but how can we have a healthy view of ourselves in light of what God has said physically? And the last week, we're going to talk about security, which is all about give me some money. Anybody in here need more money? You live in Orlando. You need more money. Like or, Orlando, everything is like 100 times more expensive than anywhere else. I don't understand it. It's crazy how expensive everything is in Orlando. Everything is so expensive in Orlando. And so we can't wait over the next several weeks to really process these things with you. Now, what I love about vital signs is this. I'm I'm one of those people who when I walk into the doctor's office, no matter what's happening with me, I think I'm fine. I'm the person that walks in and I could be throwing up for three days and I'm just like, "I, I think I'm good. What I love about vital signs, though, is when they take your vitals, if your heart rate is racing or your heart rate is slow, they're like, uh, you're not okay. Or they go to take your blood pressure if it's sky high or super low, like they're like, uh, something's off here. Or when they dial that in and they always have like a new device every time I get my temperature taken, I'm like, whoa, where'd that come from? Are you going at my ear or are you scanning my forehead? You're going to punch me in my nose? What's going on here? But every time they take my temperature, if it comes back and it's like 102, I know I'm not okay. If they do blood tests on you and the blood tests come back and it doesn't actually paint the picture of what health looks like, it's not okay. And what I love about vital signs is vital signs ultimately don't lie. And if we can be really honest, one of the dangers in church is we can be really good at lying. 
we can be really good at faking it. And the reason why this vital sign series is so important isn't just because we care about the future you, it's because we care about the present you. It's because when God's looking at you tonight, he deeply cares about who you are right now. He deeply cares about whether or not your vitals are checking out. He deeply cares about those things. And so this series is not just an invitation to think about the future. This series is actually an invitation to think about now. It's an invitation to look deeper. It's an invitation to go beyond the surface, which we don't always do a great job of. So tonight when we talk about emotions, I just want to confess this off um, right at the beginning. I am terrible at processing my emotions. Like tonight as I, as I preach this message, I'm like, I'm taking notes on myself. Because I'm not very good at this. I'm actually horrible at it. I may be the worst person in this whole room at processing my emotions. And I love one of the quotes um, from a guy who's really helped me understand the importance of my emotions more. And it's by this guy named uh, Peter Saccaro. And he simply says this, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And if we're going to be a spiritually mature group of people who are hungry for God, we're going to have to be able to take ourselves and help ourselves be spiritually um, mature while becoming emotionally mature. Because God desires that for us. And what I love about the fact that God desires that for us is, you, you may not know this or not, but it's actually one of the number one predictors of success in life, is whether or not you're emotionally mature. In fact, CEOs, that's one of the things that um, companies look for in CEOs when they do a study of CEOs. It's not how intelligent they are. It's not even the fact that they've got world-class work ethics or that they've got pedigree from Harvard. One of the, the one thing that they can actually narrow down and say this is a common denominator of most CEOs or really highly successful people, it's the fact that they're emotionally mature. They have high emotional intelligence. So they know how to process when certain things happen. You see, God desires to have all of us, not just some of us. And what I love about that is, is so often I can come before God and, and I can actually fool myself into thinking that God only loves the good parts of me. See, God loves all of you. The good, the bad, the ugly, the parts of yourself when you're like, if, if anybody else knew about this secret sin, they would totally cancel me. And God loves all of you. He loves the darkest places of your heart. The parts of your heart that scare you. The secret sin in your life that scares you. God loves all of you. He doesn't love some of you. And because God loves all of us, we can all take off the mask. If we're going to become emotionally integrated, we have to be willing to say, I'm not going to wear this mask anymore that just goes, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm okay. I got it all together. Nothing really bothers me. Because God desires to have all of us. In fact, Matthew twenty two thirty seven, 37, Jesus says something very similar to this reality. And he says these words. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, when we read that in Western culture, a lot of times we read it and we go, that's emphasis. That's all about how strong we love God. But when Jesus was saying it, he was speaking to a very Jewish cultural understanding of this holistic being. So when Jesus was saying it, he was actually saying he wants all of you. The good, the bad, the ugly. He wants to integrate into every area of your life. The darkest parts of your heart, 
that scare you and you think would scare God, he wants all of that. He wants to integrate himself into your whole being, to your emotions, to your mind, to your life, to your workplace, to your sexual desires, to your um, successful desires, to your workplace desires. He actually wants to integrate every part of your life. He wants to leave no square inch of your life or your mind or your heart or your emotions or your thoughts. He wants to take up residence in all of those things. And that's part of what makes Christianity so unique is that it's not behavior modification. And we talked about that so much last week. Tyler did such an amazing job of talking about that. But it's this idea that God actually wants to integrate himself and take up residence in all of your life. And so when we think about this idea of mind, body, soul, and Jesus was talking about it, he wasn't talking about emphasis. He was talking about actual all of it, the whole, and he wants all of it. And so when we talk about this idea of emotional integration, we're simply saying this, to be emotionally integrated is to be aware of your emotions, name them, process them with God, self, and others. To be aware of your emotions, name them and process them with God, self, and others. Now, I shared with you that I am like the worst at this. Part of the reason why I'm one of the worst at this is because of my family of origin. And so a lot of times if you go to a counselor, which I highly recommend um, that everybody at some point uh, go to a counselor Um, It's no different than finding a personal trainer. They just help you process things. Sometimes in our society, in our culture, counselors have negative stigmas. But I'm like, why would I not want somebody to help me be healthy in one of the most important areas of my life? And so one of the things that I process with my counselor is this fact that my family of origin ultimately um, begin to really um, dictate the way that I process my emotions. And we see this a lot in our society that, um, you know, my family process their emotions um, in a way that I would actually, at the time, I was always like, man, that's like the most unhealthy way. They were like people who walked around with a bullhorn everywhere they went. And they would be like, aisle seven at the grocery store. If you're on this aisle, I need you to know about what's going on in my life. This week, my aunt didn't invite me to her son's birthday party. Will you help me out? I am devastated. I'm telling you, my family put every emotional thing, it was like this emotional outburst. And everything that was happening in their life, everybody knew about it all the time. Every emotion that they were processing, they weren't processing it, they were publishing it. Everybody, everywhere, in every scenario, in every circumstance, knew what was happening. If somebody broke their heart, probably the whole city knew. They would just process and publish their emotions out in the open for everybody to see in a dramatic fashion. And while I'm watching that, I was like, I don't know about this. These people are crazy. Anybody ever thought that about your family? This is a safe space. We're not putting this anywhere. Like, these people are crazy. Like, what, what is wrong with everybody here? I mean, just always these emotional outbursts that lasted like three or four weeks, and I'm going, oh my gosh, what's wrong with these people? Now, at the same time, I also had some family, I also had some parents who were addicts, and I talk about that a lot because it's a lot of my story, who were addicted to drugs, and because of their addiction, 
one of the things that I oftentimes did was I felt like I couldn't express my emotions. Because I thought if I express how I feel because mom and dad didn't show up when they were supposed to or mom and dad um, went and were on a drug binge for a couple of days and left me with my grandparents, if I express how I feel, maybe they'll relapse. And so I begin to really process my emotions unhealthy because a lot of times in society we'll go, this is a really unhealthy way to process your emotions. And so the way that I process my emotions um, was what I thought was healthy. I had this beautiful, like, chest that I would just, uh, you know, every time something emotional happened in my life, I would just lock it away and shut it and lock it and go, nobody will know. And I would go around telling people, I am not emotional. Like, I'm not like anybody else around me. I have no emotions. You can laugh. See, the problem with that is, 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 is ultimately, um, no matter how many times that happens, and we all know this, that the person who's like this, sometimes people are like, whoa, stop. But this person sometimes in culture, we kind of go, man, they're so calm, they're so collective, nothing bothers them. And we all know this, that um, the problem is when this happens, if you process this way, you add one thing, and maybe somebody at work curses you out. Anybody had that happen? You don't have to raise your hand. I work at a church, so I hope not. <laughs> if that did happen, man, we got some problems. Um, this happened to me a couple weeks ago, though, because I'm telling you, I am so good at the chess. I'm so good at just shutting it, locking it away. But this happened, I had, a, three weeks ago, I had this whole experience where I just, the whole week, I felt like people just kept taking advantage of me. Anybody feel taken advantage of in this room? Yeah, we all do. And by about the fifth time, I just kept going, man, that person took advantage of me, but I'm not going to say anything. And I would just shut it. Then I would go, happen one more time. I would just shut it. This person just didn't appreciate what I did for them, and I felt so underappreciated and so undervalued. Just drop it in the chest. This person flipped me off on the road, I-4. Never happened. If I do it to you, I apologize in advance. I'm just kidding. But then one night, um, something crazy happened. I live in a townhome that has terrible parking. And one night, I get a knock on my door from my neighbor, and he says words that nobody ever wants to hear. He goes, Chris, they're towing your car. I was like, what? So it's midnight. I throw on my J's. I run outside in the rain. I run out to the tow truck. I'm like, what is the deal here, people? You're towing my car? What? I I've got a tag on it? My license plate is good. I go through all the checklists. He says, ah, oh, you're parked over the white line. I was like, what? The white line? I pay my HOA. I am a homeowner. He goes, I called the president. He said to do it. I said, get that president on the phone right now. I can go from the nicest person, the most cheerful person, to like Liam Neeson 
and like taken so far, I will find you and kill you. <laughs> and what happened on that night was I got the president on the phone and I began to like just give it to this guy. This guy got three weeks worth of me not feeling appreciated, three weeks of me feeling like people were taking advantage of me, three weeks of me feeling like people didn't care about me, three weeks of feeling like, man, I was just so sick of people just rolling over me with their car. And I, I, I'm not kidding. I told the guy, I said, you know what? I'm going to go door to door in this neighborhood and I'm going to run for president. And all of a sudden, what happened in that moment, I'm like stopping people as they're driving in, like, let me tell you what happened tonight. Like, it's funny because the people who are chess people, how quickly they actually become microphone people, they're like, <laughs> like, you know, the chess people in the room, they're like, oh, man, that never happens. And what happens is we stuff this thing so full for people who suppress their emotions that it only takes like one bad encounter for all of a sudden we can't like shut it and we've got like all of these things and then we hit the wrong thing or the wrong thing happens and somebody gets like nine years of emotions that just go all over the place. And this is the problem with not being emotionally integrated. The problem with not being emotionally integrated is is oftentimes for the people in the room who they just, they're publishing everything that they've got and they're never really processing it. You really need to process your emotions. You don't need to publish them. Gossip has never produced peace, but we think it will. And for the people who are chess people like me, the problem is this, is you walk around, and I, I've said this for years. i told this for, to people for years. I'm not really emotional. I just get angry sometimes. Just, just a couple moments, maybe once a month. Because anger's not on, <laughs> I don't really know. And that's the challenge for us. Is the problem is we stuff our emotions or we publish our emotions, but we never really deal with our emotions. We never really process our emotions. And no matter what category we're in, we can live under this illusion, I'm managing my emotions. Nobody's ever managed their emotions if they haven't processed them. It's a lie. And the truth is, is most of the time our emotions are actually managing us. Now, where does this come from? It, when we look at and break down like just the way that society and culture looks at emotion, there's really three predominant worldviews on how to deal with emotion. Um, and tonight I'll talk about a fourth one, but Eastern spirituality, which would be Buddhism, sometimes um, Stoics actually model some of this, which is this idea that the reason why we have emotional challenges is because of the fact that we have attachment issues and desire issues. And so what Buddhism and Eastern spirituality a lot of times will teach us is very similar to like the chest kind of mindset, which is just this idea of like just detach yourself from all desire. So instead of acknowledging the fact that most of our emotions come from a desire that's unmet, some type of security or value or attachment that we really deeply desire, that possibly God created us to actually desire those things, we actually, Eastern spirituality and um, the Stoics would teach, just detach yourself from all attachment of desire. So ignore the fact that you have desire. In fact, in, in, in Stoic culture, they would actually teach like the first um, 
The first initial response emotionally is just like a reflex, and what you do with that afterwards is like really whether or not you have emotion, and so just you have that reflex, and so that outburst would be like a reflex, but just kind of bury the rest of it. Western spirituality, which is something that most of us who grew up in the church or have been around the church actually um, probably subscribe to to some degree, which just teaches this idea of like, hey, Jesus has rose from the grave and you have overcome. So whatever you're walking through, it's going to be okay. And I want to say something to that. There is some truth to that. But the problem with that is oftentimes is it produces a fake it till you make it mindset. In fact, some people have said that. Maybe you've been told that. Fake it till you make it. And the challenge with that is, is we don't actually see that in the Bible. We actually see people in Scripture, including Jesus himself, lean into his, uh, his emotions. So Western spirituality teaches this idea of like the grave is empty and everything will be fine because we are overcomers. And I think there's enough space in Christianity for us to hold the tension well of, yes, I have victory because of what Christ has done for me, and I know I have this eternal hope. And at the same time, go, I can be filled with sorrow, and I can be filled with frustration, and I can be filled with anger. And what I do with those things in that moment is so important. And then the the secular mindset would actually teach us this idea of, hey, the world is broken, There will be pain and suffering. You can't do anything about it. Tough luck. So the only way to deal with your emotions is to numb them. Now, I've got to be honest. I I actually do this a lot. And as I begin to take an inventory of all of these things in my own life, as I prepared for this message, I'm like, I actually try to numb my emotions a lot. I I tell people this all the time. I love uh, television shows that are more stressful than my life. People go, hey, you watch The Office, you watch Friends. I'm like, nope. I'm like watching Mobland. I want people to die in my TV. I want, I want blood to be shed and people to be in fear for their life. Why? Because I do watch all The Walking Dead. Don't even get at me up here. So the, the more post-apocalyptic, the better for me, okay? If it's an apocalyptic show, I've watched it, okay? Because I like my television to be stressful. I I love to binge watch those things because it actually numbs me to the reality of my own life. It numbs me to some of the stresses in my own life. We do this through uh, Netflix and binge watching. We do this uh, through chasing success and money. Some of the highest performers in the workplace are actually some of the most unhealthy emotional people because they just dive into their work. In fact, my dad uh, passed away several years ago And I always, at the time, I always was so proud of this. Um, I actually flew to New Orleans after his death, preached his funeral, and then went on a mission trip two days later. Led the mission trip, which is not healthy. I don't recommend that for anybody, but I dove into those things. It was so easy for me. I was like, I'll just dive into this. For others of us, it's sex or pornography. If you really trace back most pornography addiction, it actually happens because of some childhood trauma that has actually never been addressed because we have emotions with that. And instead of actually dealing with the emotions and processing them, we just turn to something to numb them. It has has a little bit to do with lust, but if you dig deeper and go beneath the surface, it has something to do with something else. Sometimes even gossip is that. 
Gossip can be one of those things that we're so addicted to because if we could just talk about everybody else's problems all the time, we don't ever actually have to look at our own. That person sucks much more than I do. Their life is way worse than me. And that's one of the challenges with not processing our emotions. Now here's um, one of the big challenges with all of that is emotion should indicate, not dictate. And the challenge for so many of us, because we've never actually processed our emotion, is that emotions tend to dictate our lives. And you can lie to yourself and be like, I got my chest. It's all wrapped up in here. But then at the wrong moment, in the wrong time, at 12 o'clock, when a tow truck's about to take your car away, it dictates a lot. I did go back and apologize to the guy, bought him a gift card, found his number on LinkedIn. Said, hey man, don't hang up on me. I'm the guy last night. I don't want your presidency. That's a miserable job. You get paid nothing to deal with me. <laughs> but that's the problem is emotion should indicate, not dictate. In fact, uh, one of our church fathers, St. Augustine, actually said that emotions are similar to like smoke where there's a fire. And so a cue when we feel something emotionally is to look deeper. To not just respond to the emotion, but go, what's actually causing me to feel this? In that moment, what was causing me to feel that was I felt so taken advantage of. I felt like I did everything right and you were going to tow me because my car was a half inch over a white line. See, Augustine says that where there's smoke, there's fire, and our emotions tell us to look deeper. Sometimes our emotions can help us navigate, but sometimes our emotions lie. And we have to look deeper. Emotions should indicate, not dictate. See, that was a question that I wish I would have went back and asked. Is, uh, when that happened, I wish I would have went back and asked this simple question of, um, how do we make sure our emotions don't dictate, dictate our lives? And why is that even important? In fact, um, in, in Hebrew, there's actually a term for this idea. In, in Hebrew, there's a term that they actually use when talking about emotional integration that I think is so helpful for all of us. And it's simply this idea of, it's simply this idea that um, as we experience emotion, that one of the goals in that is that we would actually have this uh, shlamat, which is a Hebrew word that takes its root word. It's a Hebrew word for emotional integration that takes its root word, listen to this, it takes its root word from shalom, which if you know anything about Hebrew, Hebrew and shalom, it means peace. So in other words, the root word shalom and shlamat, when it's talking about emotional integration, what's at stake is actually our peace. If you are an unemotionally integrated Christian, your peace is at stake. It's why you can sometimes feel like you're torn apart. You can have this inner turmoil that you can't always put words to, but you feel. And it's because emotional integration ultimately leads to peace. Now, a lot of times the way that we deal with this is such a weird way of dealing with it. And Tyler talked last week about, uh, about check engine lights and lights that come on in your car dashboard. 
have any of you had your check engine light come on before? Yeah, it's a serious thing. I had a Acadia a couple years ago that had the check engine light that kept coming on. And the way that I dealt with it was I kept going to the mechanic and asking them to reset it. Hey, yo, don't judge me. I just go, hey, can you reset this light? And they go, sure. $10, I'll reset anything you want. I just kept going, and probably 10, 15 times I had them reset the light. I was like, yeah, it's probably the gas cap. Until one day, all of a sudden, the check engine light came on, and it stayed on, and the car wouldn't run. And it needed an engine replacement. $8,000 later, learned a valuable lesson there. Sometimes, and I think this is true for, us, true for us emotionally, sometimes we want to deal with our emotions by simply resetting. So we think the solution is reset. Oh, I'll change my church. Because, you know, the emotional issues, it's all about my church. If I went to a different church, I wouldn't have these problems. I'll change my job. Because, you know, that will deal with it. You know what? I don't like my school anymore. If I would change my school, sometimes your relationship, you're like, man, it's all him or her. And you're in like your 19th relationship and you're still like, I'll find the right one where I can be emotionally healthy and all will be good. All the way to marriage. Sometimes that's your friend groups. You're like, man, I got to get a new friend group. This, and sometimes it is your friend group, but if you're in your 19th friend group, you, you, I'm just saying, the math adds. I'll just change this or that or that. And we just want to reset. We think the reset is actually what's going to actually bring relief. See, we want relief, but relief comes through renewal, not a reset. Relief comes from a renewal, not a reset. Renewal in nature is transformational. In fact, one of the things Paul said in 2 Corinthians is he actually talks about this idea of all of these things on the outside are crazy and chaotic and I'm shipwrecked and I feel abandoned. And he said, but guess what? Outwardly, everything's going to crap. But inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. See, Christianity teaches us that there's an inward renewal that can take place even in the midst when all the outward stuff is going crazy. If we're going to be renewed, much like Tyler talked about last week when it comes to being spiritually mature, if we're going to be integrated emotionally and that happens through renewal, the best place for us to look to how to deal with it is actually by looking at the life of Jesus. See, Jesus experienced 39 different emotions, 11 core categories for his emotions. Think about that. That's a lot of emotions. Jesus was emotional. 39 different emotions, 11 core categories for those emotions. It, it, it sums up as anxiety, anger, shame, sadness, pain, surprise, hope, faith, love, joy, peace. This week when I send out the recap video, I'll send some of the, the text that you can actually look at and see some of the emotions that Jesus experienced. They were pretty expressive. He experienced all of those things. So if we're going to look at, hey, how do we renew? How do we enter into this process of integration through renewal? We should look to Jesus. 
In fact, there's one particular story that I really love is we see Jesus just have this candid moment with God. And it teaches us all how to process. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 26, um, 36 through 40. And if you've got your Bibles, I want you guys to turn there. I love this text. I mean, it speaks to the realness of Jesus. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. And it says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And this is right before Jesus is about to um, be hung on the cross. He knows what's coming. He understands what's coming. And here's what he says. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And talking with him, Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. That's Jesus. Then he said to them, my soul, <laughs> my soul is very sorrowful. Think about this. Jesus talking to the disciples, going, my soul is filled with sorrow. Even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He's talking about the fact that he's about to drink, about to have the, the wrath of God poured on him that was meant for all of our sins. He's about to have that wrath poured on him. And here's what he says. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then again, for the second time, listen to the persistence of Jesus in this passage. And for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass <coughs> unless I drink it, your will be done. And he again came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Uh, I want you to uh, jump over with me to Luke 22, 41 through 45, because it gives us more insight as to what Jesus is saying. Here's what Jesus says. And he withdrew from them about a stone throw away. And I love this account from Luke because Luke was a physician. So Luke actually understands some of the things that are happening physically to Jesus in this situation. And he said, about a stone's throw away, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood, falling down to the ground. Now, doctors will tell you and scientists will tell you this can actually happen. It's a response to stress where it's the hemotridosis. It's this idea that uh, we begin at such a high point of stress that the capillaries in our skin actually begin to burst and mix with our sweat. So this is a type of stress and emotion that Jesus is feeling in this moment. And he goes to the Father just completely honest. I'm filled with sorrow. I don't want to do this. I don't, if there's any other way, will you take it? Make a different way. But, but if it's your will, I'll do it. Not one time. And I think that's part of the challenge is some of us, we go to God to process our emotions and we go once. And then we're like, that didn't work. Let me go to Instagram, TikTok. See if anybody there will follow me. Or we go to our friends or we go to other people. And I love what Jesus does. He goes, I'm going to go once. 
twice, three times. And even in the midst of all of that, um, it says um, something happens there. (coughs) And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrows, from sorrows. I love that because sometimes if we're honest, that's what we do when we're filled with emotion. We just go, I'm going to take a nap nine hours later. And that's a real response. Look, it's okay. But I love what Jesus does and how he processes this. And Jesus teaches us something in this passage that's so important. Because what Jesus does is a rhythm and a practice that all of us can actually model in our own lives. And I would encourage you not to just do it once, not to just do it twice, not to just do it three times. Do it until renewal has happened. Renewal takes time. But it's transformational in nature. It says, um, it, what Jesus did here is Jesus reveals his feelings to rest in God's comfort. I love how honest, listen, I love how honest Jesus is. There have been times in my life spiritually when I thought honesty like that was ungodly. And that is a lie from Satan. Jesus just goes, this is what I'm feeling. Jesus reveals his feelings to rest in God's comfort. There is something supernatural about being honest with God. Taking the mask off and going, guess what? God already knows what's behind it. Have you ever thought you've never had an emotion, good, bad, ugly, that God didn't already know you had? Why can you be honest with God? Because he already knows. I don't bring my emotions to God because he's surprised by them. I bring my emotions to God because he already knows, but he's got something for me. He can comfort me in those emotions. The second thing we notice from the passage that Jesus does is Jesus reveals his weakness to receive God's strength. Notice it says that the angel of the Lord appeared and strengthened him. So often in my life, I try to process my emotions on my own strength. I try to process my emotions through logic. And I wonder how many times I've missed a moment to experience a supernatural move of God in my life because I'm trying to hide that part of my spiritual walk. I wonder how many times I've missed a moment when God wanted to do something that completely changed the trajectory of my life because I just wanted to bury my emotions and go, I can do this on my own. And the third truth that we see Jesus do in this passage is Jesus reveals his desires to reorient to God's will. I think this is one of the the hardest but most helpful things is bringing your emotions to God in honesty. Because most of the time, our emotions are attached to an unmet desire. Listen, most of the time, our emotions are attached to an unmet desire. I want it to be accepted and people didn't accept me. I want it to be loved and I didn't feel loved. I want it security. And look, a lot of times, those are not bad desires. Let's quit villainizing the fact that we've got some desires that God actually designed us to have. God designed you to feel secure. God designed you to feel loved and valued. 
God designed you to feel safe. He didn't design you not to have those feelings. So when the brokenness that's found in Genesis 3 violates those things in our lives, we need to quit villainizing the fact that we feel those things. Because God actually created you to feel them. He also knows that you live in a broken world, so you're not always going to experience those things from other people. You're not always going to experience those things from the church. You're not always going to experience those things. But you can receive those things from him. So we need to qu quit villainizing that. But what we can do in that moment, and this is, this is where there's real power. And I think some of us, we're very comfortable giving God our emotions. Some of us, we aren't. Some of us, we believe that God can do something supernatural. But there is something powerful in going to God and going, God, I am so disappointed about this. God, I really wanted that job, or I really wanted that relationship, or I really wanted those people to like me, or I really wanted to receive that from my parents, or I really wish my family wasn't so messed up. It's okay to go to God and go, God, I am being real with you right now. But then to have this moment with God where you go, God, as painful as it might be, would you reorient my will to yours? And there is something powerful that happens in that. You know, as I begin to prepare for tonight, I was thinking about this idea of the fact that God is already waiting for us every moment that we've ever went to him. And I, I shared earlier about when my dad passed away and I went to preach his funeral and then lead a mission trip two days later because, you know, I'm a chest type of emotional processor and that was my way of packing things away in a chest. And I had two friends that actually, as I was preparing for the funeral, two friends who actually drove down overnight. It was a quick funeral uh, because most of the people my dad knew actually lived in New Orleans. He had been in ICU for a couple of days, and so we had a little bit of time to prepare, but then we had a really short turnaround for when the funeral would actually be. And as my dad um, had this, as, as I was preparing for my dad's funeral, I, I need you guys to know I did not process my emotions well. Um, I, was, I was not a megaphone person I was not publishing my emotions man but I locked those emotions deep away because I was like you know I've got to preach my dad's funeral and I've got a lot of lost people in my family and I need them to see me having supernatural strength but if I can be honest I faked it I was like man I need people to think I got this all together and that Jesus can Jesus can give you hope in the midst of absolute sorrow and everybody around here is going to be like why is Chris so happy and I had these two friends that drove down, and I'll never forget the moment that, that they walked into the place where the funeral was about to happen. And one of my friends, his name was John, and I looked at John, and John just walked up to me, and he said, hey, man, I'm here to do whatever you need me to do. And he gave me a hug. And that was the first time in about eight days that I didn't feel like I had to do anything for someone. And I need you guys to know I experienced this like emotional comfort that I still, I can still tell you the feeling I had in that moment. And then later that night, um, we just went out and we just had in New Orleans, you eat crawfish. So we just had crawfish. And I just had these genuine moments of laughter because I knew that they needed nothing from me. That's the posture God has towards us. Listen. It can be hard to process our emotions. 
because it's emotional. I don't like to cry. I don't even like to be angry. I don't like to be frustrated. But I've got to dig deeper because it's impossible for us to be spiritually mature if we're emotionally immature. And I don't want to settle for an average spiritual life when God has called me to an abundant spiritual life. I don't want to settle. Why would I settle when God wants all of me? Listen, there's a heavenly father who deeply wants to embrace you in the darkness of your emotions, in the good of your emotions, in the bad of your emotions, in the positive of your emotions, in the, in the darkness of the things that you're numbing it with, whether that's pornography, sex addiction, success, gossip. There's, there's a God who, who deeply, listen, there's a God who deeply wants to embrace you and help you process those things. But even more than that, tonight, I just want us to know, like, we want to be a community where we can take off the mask. Listen, people who are faking it to make it are welcomed here because everybody in this city is welcomed here. But I pray deeply that this would not become a place where people feel like they have to fake it till they make it. I'm so sick of a Christianity that's taught us we got to fake it. People have to hide pornography addictions and sex addictions and success addic addictions. I'm so sick of a generation that feels like we can hide behind gossip. And we'll just bounce around from one thing to the next thing. When God just wants us to plant ourselves somewhere and experience healing in all areas of our lives. So tonight, I just want to invite you. We're going to have some of our team actually up here around the stage just ready to pray for you. And if you just need somebody to pray with you, do that. I also would encourage you, you can just use this stage to meet with God or you can sit right, right where you are and meet with him where you are. But listen, my prayer is, is that God would make this a place where people from all across our city can take off their mask and go, you know what? I mean, I've got some things that I'm working through or walking through, but I believe that there's a God in a community big enough to handle those things. Tonight, as we worship and as we sing this song, would we remember the heart of our Father that desperately desires to hug us in our good, bad, ugly, indifferent darkness and help us process everything we are feeling? Right where you are, I just want you to bow your head and before we sing, and I just want you to just reflect upon what God is saying to you. And tonight as a band begins to sing over us, I encourage you right where you are to stand in worship if that's the posture of your heart to make your way to the stage, if that's the posture of your heart, to find someone to pray with you, if that's the posture of your heart. Listen, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And this is a place where you are free to unmask yourself. Jesus, would you help us in this moment 
to process what you desire for us to process, to sing what you desire for us to sing so we can become who you desire for us to become. It's in your precious and righteous name we pray, the name of Jesus, amen.